Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 22, is where we're going to be. Matthew 12, 22, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The idea of cleaning your spiritual house is from this passage in Matthew 12, 22. It's kind of our theme verse for the next few weeks. We're also going to look at the temptation of Jesus and uh, find out how we too can resist temptation. If we get there tonight, we, we shall. If we don't, we won't. We're going to talk about, um, through this process, probably through the month of October, we're going to talk about cleaning your spiritual house, practically speaking. What does that look like for your physical house? And what is a stronghold? And what is, what is uh, demonic powers? And what is spiritual warfare? And we're going to be talking about all of that. Tonight, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to be on the side of God. And we're going to tackle this concept of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, make ready. Matthew 12, Matthew 12 beginning verse 22. Uh, Lord, help us to discover what you want us to discover and to learn what you want us to learn. Help us to have fun in the process. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 22 says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. So let me pause there and address the sickness as it relates to the demonic. Um, there are some that go over to the camp of Everything bad in the world has a demon attached to it. Every sickness, every disease, every problem, our order is wrong at Chick-fil-A, I know, shocker, is somehow demonic in nature. And then on the other side of the spectrum is everything is just happenstance and there's no spiritual connection to it at all. I would argue that we live in the middle. We live in a both-and world that we see, according to this, that there was a man who was blind and a man who couldn't speak. He was mute and he was blind. And that was not a physical ailment. It was a demonic possession. Because when the demon went, so did the sickness. Now, what we don't do is transfer that and say everybody who's blind and mute is now demon-possessed. See? People get in trouble when they take one scripture, one story, one uh, verse and say this must apply across the board. Let me give you a little rule of thumb. If it happens more than once, pay attention. If it happens more than twice, it is not only a pattern, it is biblical and it is what God wants us to see. For example, when we see in the book of Acts the baptism of the Holy Spirit that follows the salvation experience, it happens four, five times in the book of Acts. So we see that as a pattern. Just to give you some context there. Verse 23, the crowd was amazed and asked, 
Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. I, I Frankly, in studying this past Sunday's message, as we talked about the crowd being present, I look at crowds differently now. So I, I, when I says the crowd, I'm wondering, okay, why does, not only does the Bible say there's a crowd there, but why did God need, why did Jesus need a crowd? Well, the crowd here was needed not just to witness, but to testify, prophesy. The crowd said, this is him. The Pharisees said, no, you're mistaken. Why, this is not a trick question, why were the Pharisees so bent on Jesus not being the Messiah? Why did they not want him to be the Messiah? They would lose power. Gold star. And I know your wife didn't tell you the answer because she was just dropping off the baby at the nursery. See, I told you you had it in there, Steve. So this is, they would lose power, and when they lost power, they lose another thing when they lose power. What's that? <laughs> there he is. Money. I hate to tell you that corruption in seats of power is not a new thing. It's been around a long time. So they did not want Jesus to be the Messiah, and so they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons, in verse 25. Jesus knew their thoughts. And replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I'm empowered... By Satan, Jesus says, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who can tie him up and then plunder his house. Verse 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. In cleaning up your spiritual house, it is a black and white process. If it doesn't bring you closer to the Lord, then it pulls you further away. If it doesn't glorify God, then it glorifies who? Satan. And let me just remind you, to glorify the flesh and yourself is in essence the same connection to glorify Satan. Satan's problem was pride. I want to be like God. I should be like God. I can do what he does and do it better. And so we find that pride, that glorification of self, is also the same as glorifying Satan. Jesus lays it out so clearly that your 
either for me or against me. There is no middle ground. There is no playing in both camps. The problem we find is, is people a lot of times spend their whole life trying to do just that. How can I just be Christian enough to get to heaven but enjoy the world while I'm at it, right? Let me remind you that we, we've talked about heaven and New Jerusalem. We've done teachings on that. We've talked about all that, and we talk about how many millions and millions and millions of people there will be because of how many Christians through the ages, right? But let me also remind you that it kind of dawned on me this past week that there will be multiple billions of people there, and that might be true. But Jesus said narrow is the way, right? Broad is the path that leads to destruction. I, I grew up listening to evangelists, evangelists in my church say it this way. You'll be surprised who's in heaven and who's not. <laughs> so if you make it there, you're going to look around and say, whoa, wait a minute. How did you make it? And you'll be like, whoa. <laughs> They're probably thinking the same thing about you. Oh, how did you make it? Back to the text. Um, I want to spend some time here. And I want to give you some freedom to say stupid things, all right? Because I I plan to do the same. Um, Verse 31. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. Now, this preacher's kid grew up knowing that one by heart. Because I knew I never wanted to fall into that side of never being able to be forgiven. And so I wanted to make sure I was careful about what I was saying and how I was living my life. And... uh, It's a scary thought. So talk to me. What is your understanding? And there are no wrong answers, or at least I won't say it's wrong in the moment. I'll come back to it and skirt it without using your name. No, in in all seriousness, what is your understanding of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What does that look like to you? Even if this is the first time you've thought about it, what does that look like to you? To deny the Holy Spirit's power. Good. To deny the existence of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, Denise, to play that one out, the Unitarian belief that basically says Jesus only, uh, the Holy Spirit is the power that comes from the Father, but the Holy Spirit is not a person in the Godhead. To deny its existence, is that to deny its existence? Good question. True. What else? Anybody else? To deny its power, to deny its existence. Let's get a little bit more edgy here. Because we're talking about denying, which is kind of a sin by omission. Right? We agree?
Yeah. Yes. Audacious in your faith. Very, very obvious, I guess. Anybody else? Yeah, David. <laughs> Where I was going. But that, that you took me there. The cessationists believe that the Holy Spirit was active in the book of Acts and is no longer. In essence, that belief leads to the fact that when we see gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in the, in the modern church, it is not the Holy Spirit. It is what is considered strange fire or uh, people even to go so far as to say under their own power, authority, influence, and even leaking over into the demonic. It's a dangerous road to tread. Um, so that's a, a problem. What say you? Anybody else on any other ideas on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Rejecting the Holy Spirit from your heart. Yep. Is that what you were going to say? Or you take your answer. <laughs> oh. Right. 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 Rejecting Christ because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us that new life that Christ sent the Comforter. Uh, the Father sent the Holy Spirit. And so rejection, which, which basically would lead to eternal damnation. Um, I, I, I don't, yeah. Does it what now? Yes. Uh, that's the seal given to us, Hebrews, uh, of what's to come. Guaranteeing, the deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That's the salvation experience. And then the baptism fo that follows is, is the infilling of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You're filled with that. That's the salvation experience. So here's, here's the thing. Some would argue that in this particular text, there's this perfect storm of revelation. It is the Holy Spirit present moving through Jesus. It is Jesus being God. And it is almost like impossible to be recognized as the power of God moving in the Holy Spirit. So some would say that this particular passage that Jesus is saying when he's saying it's not forgivable only applies to this little group of Pharisees. What say you to that? Exactly. <laughs> because it, it, it is this holistic statement that says they will not be forgiven in this world or the next. Now, here's the deal. I live in the school of thought of what Mike, Michael mentioned a little while ago. In order for you to prove someone in our system, judicial system, if they're guilty of a crime, they must have what? Not evidence. Intent. 
intent, evidence is there, but if you cannot prove that they wanted to do that, for example, murder, it's manslaughter if they didn't intend to kill someone. Are you with me? Jesus, I think, it helps me understand it this way, because he says, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Then he goes on to say, and this is why I don't think it just applies to those people, because he goes on to say, anyone who speaks against the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or the world to come. Now, what they were speaking against was the Son of Man, Jesus, but what he was doing was the empowerment given by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that Jesus, being fully God and fully man, had to operate in the power of the Holy Ghost? Because he put on flesh, he needed the Holy Spirit, like you and I do, to operate in the miraculous. You right? Am I, I mean, you get me so far? So they weren't talking about Jesus only, they were saying Jesus and the power that comes from him, which was the Holy Spirit, the power must be Satan. And in essence, they were saying in that statement that the spirit that he's operating in is Satan, and that is, by definition, blasphemy, right? So what I I'm living in now, after looking at it again, is this school of intent. The cessationists, I don't know, only God can judge, but I don't, I hope that the intent is not that they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit and saying that that's satanic from, they may say that, but I hope their intent is not there to truly blaspheme the Holy Spirit because they know this verse like I do and like you do now. Now, for someone who, the, the easy way out is to say for them to deny the Holy Spirit their whole life and never give their hearts to Christ, that must be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, that sends anybody to hell. But I think this one is talking about either a pattern or an act or something that is done, taught, built upon, where this person has made a conscious decision to say that that's the Holy Spirit and I know it, but I'm calling it Satan. You with me? I can tell you this. This is why this preacher doesn't walk up to people and say, the Lord told me. I haven't done it. I don't walk up and say, God told me to tell you this. Now, I, I feel like the Lord might be saying, because I'm not God. Let me give you a little bit of teaching on the side here about words of knowledge and how to receive them. If it doesn't confirm something that you're already sensing, you need to take a step back and say, okay, let me really pray on this. If it is in any way, shape, or form against the scriptures, throw it out. Don't even think about it again. But a word of knowledge or prophecy is to encourage the believer, right? 
Now, a rebuke is a totally different thing. Hey, man, you're being an idiot. Stop doing that. That's a rebuke. We, as believers, are called to judge one another and to encourage one another, right? But a word of prophecy, if somebody comes, I remember Kelly's here, and I remember way back in the day, there was someone that said, I feel like, they didn't say this, the Lord says, blah, 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 and we're sitting there going, whoa, (laughs) not what the Lord said to us, but uh, thank you. Um, It just, not only you be careful, but also be careful in reception of those things. Please don't walk around saying, somebody said the Lord said, so that must be it. It's not the case. That's a little side thing. Yeah. Well, if, if the Pharisees knew the law and the prophets, they knew the scriptures, they knew, and because it does say uh, all the way back to Genesis that the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. So when you go all the way back to Genesis and all the books that they knew, they read the spirit of God, the spirit of God, the spirit of God, his spirit come upon him. They knew that the spirit of God came upon Saul and he prophesied. So the Holy Spirit was not a foreign thing to them. It was still the Spirit of God that gave power to people for an assignment in the Old Testament. They knew it as that way. And when a prophet would come along, they would operate in that spirit. So for us, we stand on the other side of the book of Acts and the teachings of Jesus in John 12, John 16, that says this is who the Holy Spirit is. But they still knew it as they knew, I think, that they were calling God's power Satan's power. And Jesus knew it too. I love. Let me let me let me let me jump one thing. Is that is that answer? Is it okay? Let me let me show you this. This was kind of cool. It just hit me. I didn't see it till just now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Okay. Verse twenty four says, "But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons.'" Verse twenty five. Jesus knew their thought. Didn't say Jesus heard them. Come on, catch this. You're catching it already. You're getting it. He knew the intent was there. Ooh, I got chills. He knew they were not making a mistake. The intent to blaspheme the very Spirit of God, who is the Holy Spirit. Remember, even if it says Spirit of Jesus in the book of Acts, same Spirit. He knew their thoughts and their thoughts was i'm going to blaspheme the holy spirit in front of the crowd so i don't lose my power i don't lose my influence i don't lose my wealth and i put this messiah i'll see i'll even say this he probably knew that they knew that he was the messiah because they knew the law and the prophets and all the way from ezekiel isaiah zechariah it all talked about a man who would come the Messiah who would come and heal the blind. Did you know blind eyes was the one miracle that set Jesus apart for anything else? It's the one that John the Baptist said, go and see what he's doing. Blind eyes are open. And John said, it's good enough for me. He must be the Messiah. It was a unique miracle to Jesus. Ooh, he knew their thoughts. 
That's awful. Back to the the text. Anything else about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? You want to hang out there anymore? Jason, go. Yeah. Good pregame. <laughs> he watched the film before he started. <laughs> I think whatever we whatever we operate in is just a fraction of what Jesus was able to experience. So Jesus could not put on flesh, and, and this isn't blasphemy, this is biblical. Jesus could not live in a human body and still know everything all the time. The same way he couldn't be everywhere all the time like God can because he put on flesh. But I guarantee you that what the Holy Spirit showed us just now about the thoughts, which is really cool, Jesus knew in, out, up, down, all around. Uh, I'll, use it, I'll use this as an illustration, and it might be a terrible illustration, but we're going to go with it. How many of you guys remember the Superman movie where he heard things and it was messing with his mind? Does anybody remember that clip? I mean, you could, he started hearing and he could hear millions of people. Now, this is, of course, Hollywood. But he could hear, and his mind was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, he's floating there, and he, he had to tune in, and it, he couldn't handle it. So Jesus putting on flesh, to give it that illustration, there was a limitation to his flesh. But there was no limitation to his divinity at the same time, which is a miracle in and of itself. To your point, I feel that he knew what was going on. And there's three occasions. One, he says, Jesus knew the hearts of men, and therefore he moved on to the next town. This one, it said he knew their thoughts. And there was one other occasion where uh, Simon, the Pharisee, he knew what he was thinking about the woman who was washing his feet. And that it specifically says it, but it didn't say it in that story that we're talking about. So, is it hard for us to grasp the fact that Jesus just needed to take a step and say, I need to think about this for a minute. He was fully God, fully man, right? That's why he was able to relate to us in the way that we can. Good question, Jason. Anything else about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit before we move on? Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. That there is a whole lot of blindness, spiritual blindness in the Jewish people, in the nation of Israel. And it is God's plan that many now we have a couple of Jewish people out there teaching about Jesus, but it is God's plan that they are in this season where they haven't fully seen who the Messiah is, 
Why? Because, let's just pretend for a moment, that if they all got it, then I think our whole world would look very different now. Right? <laughs> because those who are blessed by God, even when they don't follow God, now actually acknowledge and follow Him for who He is. This whole world, um, gosh, the whole power structure of the world just changed. But when they see Him in glory... The greatest revival in the world happens during the tribulation. And one of the greatest places of revival is in Israel, right? So the ones, to your point, that are here, Pharisees, for example, they were blatantly ignoring the truth and making decisions. But isn't that the case even with people that you may know? They know the truth, and yet they still don't accept it. The darkness has overcome the light in their hearts, but... If they just make room for Jesus, he'll, he'll break through. Good, good question. No rabbit trail, man. We did good there. Go, Abba. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. Choose. They choose not to believe. He came to live among his people and they rejected him. And the truth was among them, but they were, it wasn't in them. And this whole concept, which, by the way, if I, I, I like, I want to go to the story you said where he's in the... Uh, uh, in the temple and he read the scroll and the bible says that when he read the scroll that passage from isaiah i've come to set the captives free and open blind eyes and all that he reads through it and then the bible says and he sat down and everyone was looking at him and i, I, I did a study on this a while back and it's, it's a really cool thing um, that there was a chair during those during that time period that was open and no one would sit in it because it was... How many of you guys have seen the Veterans Day? They have the restaurants will have the empty chair set up to honor a, a veteran that's been lost. So every temple and every synagogue had a chair near the scroll that was always open. And it was open. No one sat there. They knew. It was open for the Messiah. Jesus went up to read, and in, in the worship of those days... They would go up and read the rabbis, the Pharisees. They would go up and read the scroll. People would take turns. So that wasn't uncommon. What he read was unique. And then he sat down in the chair reserved for the Messiah. And everybody looked at him. 
So why would it say, and everyone's eyes were upon him, and everyone gazed at him, whatever translation. What is he doing? But again, it boils down to, Abba, what you said, they choose to reject him. There it is. And he sat down, all eyes in the synagogue, looked at him intently. He's like, what did he do? Oh, no, he didn't. Ow! Just a picture of the gasps in the room. Well, let's get back to the text. Um, well, I'm having a great time. This is what our Wednesday nights are supposed to feel like. So thank you all for participating tonight. Anybody else on the blasphemy or anything around that? Awesome. Let's talk about verse 33. Here we get into the cleaning of your spiritual house. First of all, we look at you cannot clean your spiritual house. We've already read this part. You cannot throw out what doesn't belong without something more powerful that does. So for you to be, quote unquote, clean spiritually and to say, I'm just going to clean out all the stuff that doesn't belong and not fill the void with God, with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, with his goodness, that is an exercise in futility. Jesus said, uh, uh, speaking of the strong man in another one of the Gospels, that when the strong man is cast out or the demon is cast out and the house is clean and nothing happens, they go and find their friends and come back seven times stronger. So at the end of the day, first of all, cleaning your spiritual house is an assessment of what you need to deal with and then an infilling of what the Lord wants you to put in its place. Um, verse 33 says, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Can I just talk about Jesus' boldness for just a minute? In verse 34, Picture it if you would. The people that the crowd saw as holy, he calls them a brood of snakes. So the burn, we don't really understand because we don't talk like this anymore. But think of the worst burn that you can do today, and that's what he's doing there. You brood of snakes, right? Did he just and these Pharisees, right? We've all seen the we've all seen the the the, the shows where they're wearing these big old heavy garments, which by the way, come on. Is it really summer in the Middle East all the time? Y'all know it gets cold in the Middle East, right? It's not just summer all the time. We're watching it and I'm feeling sorry for the people that have to act in the role of the Pharisee because they have to wear these big old things, these hats. Uh, anyway, Jesus always gets a nice linen robe, you know, <laughs> some sandals. I digress. <laughs> you brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right for whatever is in your heart determines what you say? A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. 
And I tell you this, you must give an account in judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Here's the deal. I love the way the Lord uh, used treasury here. Treasury speaks of what? Money. Storage. Savings. There's more than what you need for that moment. The treasury of your heart. He is saying, in essence, you're either storing up good or you're storing up bad. And could I argue this, that we may have stored up bad in our lives, but as we're cleaning them out, again, it's important to replace it with good. I'll put it this way. If you put your cell phone down because you, sh- you shouldn't be consumed with whatever you're watching, social media, whatever, but you just replace it with some other show, you didn't replace anything. You just swapped it. <laughs> you know, it's still... It, now, to, to, give, to give another... Uh, if you have a bad habit or a sin that, that you continue to fall into and say, I need to give up, I need to give up meth. Right? And then you go over here and you're just, you're hitting whiskey all day. You know, you didn't trade anything. You didn't replace anything. You're just going from bad to bad. So with that case in point, I need to give up the things that are bringing me down and and the evil in my life. And I need to now replace it with what God wants to do in my life. I need to pick up the word. I need to be in prayer. I need to be in, in ministry, in church, whatever the case may be and replace these things that is um, the introduction but I will say this Matthew chapter 12 verse 22 through 37 have fun in this come next week with talking about some of these things blasphemy of the Holy Spirit the Pharisees this whole interaction that Jesus had but let's talk about Jesus's temptation and how we can resist temptation as well in cleaning your spiritual house we've got to first know how to resist temptation to not get it dirty in the first place amen amen pastor Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 chapter 4 verse 1 Uh, let me see. I want to get. Hmm. You ever heard? That if you just follow the Lord. You know, bad things won't happen, right? You heard that? Is it true? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it. It's the world which we live. Because Jesus, our example, goes to be baptized in chapter 3. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. That's a great, great thing. In verse 4, Then Jesus was led. Some translation says Jesus was driven. That sounds aggressive to me. I've never been driven by the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't sound like a good experience. Led, I'm fine being led. 
where he leads me, I will follow, right? As opposed to driven. What's the picture jumps in your mind when I say driven? Not cars. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's this picture of Jesus having this baptism experience where the Father speaks over him. This is my son. And then driven into the wilderness. Yeah. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Wilderness, remember, in the, in the scriptures is not a fun place or a fun season. To be tempted there by the devil. All right, we got to grapple with this. You ready to grapple? Some of you guys are like, not, not after that blasphemy conversation. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to listen. <laughs> Let's grapple with this. The Bible says that God does not tempt, correct? But it says here that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted, but that is still not God tempting, correct? Okay, so let's, let's differentiate those things. So you can be led into a period of testing that might even be a temptation. Come on, this might mess with you, but that's okay. Because if it's in here, we still teach it, right? Why? They're to, they're to be tempted there by the devil. The devil's the tempter, yet the Spirit still led him into this situation. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Verse 3, during that time the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, he questioned his deity, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Physical temptation. What's right in front of you. Remember, if we think that just being full of the Holy Spirit would get rid of our problems, that's a mistake that many of us, even some believe, not many of us, the Sunday morning crowd. <laughs> Wait, are we recording this? They're not going to listen anyway. To my six podcast followers. All right. <laughs> what am I? Hey, next month, I'm going to be a published author. I am. I wrote a review for somebody. It's going to be published right on the back cover of that book. If they use it, I don't know. They might not. <laughs> Remember that? I'm going to put it on my bio. Published review. Uh, what was I talking about? Pride? No. Um, verse 4. <laughs> but Jesus told him, oh, okay, we're talking about Jesus' temptation. Can you tell my attention span is, is, is uh, I'm glad you guys have good attention spans because mine's waning. During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. Scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city, in Jeru to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, 
If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the Scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your, stu- your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took, uh, took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said. You will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Let me talk about some things that if we've read this story before, we just accept. But let me tell you what's happening here. The devil, this is going to mess with some of y'all, okay the devil is tempting jesus first with the bread in a stationary place and then somehow supernaturally they are now at the top of the temple how'd they get there who initiated that satan So you're telling me Satan was able to supernaturally transport the Son of God to the top of the temple. Right? Yeah. But doesn't that mess with you? (laughs) It does. I'm like, he can't do that. (laughs) Then they're on a high mountain. Who took them there? I think it is. I think it's now we're going here, now we're going there. Which, which means the laws of physics doesn't apply to Satan because he's an angelic creature. He's an angel. And so the way we understand travel, right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's going to mess with you even further, I think, maybe. Jesus, was, Jesus didn't do this until he had resurrected. After he resurrected, he would travel in this manner. But this was pre-resurrection body Jesus. Which means Satan, this is, this is crazy, had to help him. That messes with me. Does that mess with you? Now, but he was only allowed to because Jesus decided to allow him to have that opportunity, right? Why? Because Jesus had to be tempted in these three ways. First of all, physically. There is no addiction. There is no physical thing that can bind you because if Jesus could resist, then so can you. Then, the pride of life. Pride of life. Standing at the top of the temple, right? Temple being full of thousands upon thousands of people. Jesus being tempted to throw himself down, not to be protected, which is the way the the devil presented it, But because, man, if you'll do this, this whole ministry thing that you're getting ready to do is just going to catapult, take off. People in the temple will see, wow, there's no doubt that's the Messiah. Or you can travel the road from village to village and do it the hard way. The, The devil is offering Jesus an easier way to do what he was supposed to do. You with me? You follow me? So physical, there's no addiction that can hold you because Jesus overcame. The pride of life that the devil says, get rich quick, 
do it the easy way, follow this path, sign a pact with me. Now, y'all know that's a real thing, right? Especially in Hollywood. You know, it don't take long to find it. To sell your soul to the devil is not something that we, you know, it, it really happens. Now, at the end of the day, the third and final thing is the mountain. He took them to the high mountains and showed them the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give all this to you. Why? Let's unpack that. Why could Satan say he'll give it to Jesus? Did it belong to Satan? Right? He was the, he was the power of the earth. Galatians, uh, I believe, 4. How did he get it? Go all the way back to the beginning. God gave dominion to who? Adam. And Adam lost it. Like men lose their keys today. <laughs> right? Honey, <laughs> have you seen my keys? He gave, in essence, dominion to Satan. But here's the thing we, here's the thing we forget. Or here's the thing. God never took dominion away from man. Man just came in, Adam, because of sin, came in covenant with Satan that said, you can be in charge and I'll just do what you want. And in that moment, governments, leaders, the world, in essence, works for the devil. See that? What Satan was tempting Jesus with is basically the new heaven and the new earth to happen then. Go ahead and take over now. Skip the cross. <laughs> I'll give it all to you. If you kneel to me and then I give it all to you, it don't matter who's in charge. It's all yours anyway. This was the temptation. So, to your point, or, or to my point, physical, pride of life, getting there the easy way, so to speak. And then the third thing is power. Now, you and I, the little people that we are, we don't really grasp that. But power is a huge temptation. And people that have it, taste it, own it, cannot give it up. It consumes them. It's like Jesus talks about the greedy and the wealthy and the rich. It's hard for them to get into heaven because they love what they have and they always want more. So, Jesus overcame the physical, the pride, and the power in that moment. Then we find the angels coming to take care of Christ. Any, anything uh, that you questions or anything you'd like to add? Go ahead. You know, the testing, I was going to go there, but the way you just said it, that is very interesting. So the question is, Satan was tempting, but could he be testing Jesus' power? I actually, because Satan doesn't know everything. He's not like God in that way. Um, he's not like God in any way. And so Satan knew that Jesus was the Messiah, Son of God, fully God, fully man. But what did that mean? What limitations did he have? That is an interesting, interesting thought. So let me answer it this way. Probably. 
I think that's interesting. But let's see if he'll jump off, because that means I can't kill him by knocking him off a cliff. Because later, the crowd tried to throw him off a cliff. So the devil thought he might have could do it that way. Interesting. Really good. The testing that I consider is a picture, if you would, a spaceship that is being built. It has to go through incredible testing to test all the seals and the bolts and the, the functions and the instruments. It goes through a stress test, per se. But the whole reason it goes through this stress test and pushes everything to the limit is to see, is it ready for flight? Is it ready for the mission? So Jesus, I believe, was being tempted for our benefit, but it was also a testing to prepare him for his mission. Now every time the physical temptation, pride of life, could Jesus have given in to temptation? Could he? Not, I mean, he, he, the cross doesn't do anything if it wasn't possible, Right? But because he could have sinned and didn't, therefore the sacrifice is something that we can, we can accept. Yep. To be ready? Yeah. Absolutely. Strength spiritually, physically spent. Absolutely. Abba. Yes. Amen. Right. Amen. Be led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit to resist temptation. Let me give you a practical application. When you feel like you're being tempted, call it out. Be quick to call it. Devil, I know this is you. Right? And, and, and you're going you're gonna to stop right now. Because what happens is our nature is to allow it to linger and to be inner, you know, oh, well, I mean, is it? But call it out right away. No. This is what Jesus said. Hey, make this into bread. No. Right? When we're quick to call it out for what it is, the devil loses his power over us. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Amen? So, the testing back to the spaceship. All of us are tempted. The temptation is the testing for the mission 
that God is calling you to. So don't be upset, sad that you feel like you're getting picked on. I'm always tempted. No, no, no. God is testing, prodding, poking, preparing you for what he's calling you to. Amen? Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our study. Thank you for this precious group of people. May you go with us. Help us to continue to walk in holiness before you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you uh, before you go, do we want to do spiritual warfare next week or do we want to do different types of sin? Sin or warfare? Warfare. Yeah, I knew you'd pick that one. (laughs) So, I I will invite you. Email me if you have questions about spiritual warfare and I'll prepare it for next week. Email me.